Well, hello and welcome back to Perspectives. We've been taking some time to hear from folks who are encountering this brave new world in different ways. We're hearing how they've had to adapt to this season that we're journeying through together. And maybe most importantly, we're hearing where they've been seeing hope in the midst of it all. Today, we're chatting with James Sankey. James, thank you for joining us. No problem. James has come up through our church. He served as a youth leader and a board member, a key part of the band, and I'm sure lots more that I maybe don't know about. And we might hear some more about that as the conversation goes on. Uh, James, where are you joining us from today? Uh, today, I am upstairs in my bedroom hiding from Jude, my little boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, tell us a little bit about how you became a Christian. Um. So I've always grown up in a Christian family. Mum um, and dad were active part, uh, active members, really, in, um, mainly inside church. Um, I sort of remember one of my earliest memories in church was um, my mum and dad becoming members um, of the church and um, sort of Sunday school and stuff like that. So I've always been in and around church. My grandparents go to the same to side church as well. Um going on youth holidays and all that sort of stuff. So it was sort of something that I've always been involved in, always done. Um, see an extended family as well through church events. Um, so it was just a good opportunity for me to meet up with my grandparents and cousins and friends that I'd made on the district. Um, but it was only really, I would say I've always known about church and always known about God and obviously had that up in that upbringing. Um, but it was only really when I started to get old, older that I started to think about what it all sort of meant to me. Um, the sort of significant time was of when I went off to university um, and leaving that sort of safe place of church and um, trying to go to um, the local church there and the CU didn't really feel like I fit in or that it was home and sort of distanced a little bit at that time. Um, but kept attending church when I came back to Wrexham. Um, and then I remember being asked if I would become, if I would be involved in a leadership team for um, a holiday. I can't remember which one it is now. Um, it was a couple, it was two holidays pretty much straight after each other. So I sort of said yes, because again, it was a chance to see um, some friends and, meet up with them and um, I'd finished university by this point um, and so I agreed and went away and I remember halfway through um, the first camp I was sat in a group with another leader and a load of kids um, leading the time of worship uh, sorry time of prayer and I remember just sat there thinking that these kids are basically better Christians than I was and Mm. Um, sort of living it out better than I was um, I remember feeling a bit of a hypocrite um, and so that was sort of the first point where I thought actually do I believe what I'm sort of living in terms of attending church and um, I'm doing the right stuff and going on the right holidays and listening to the sermons but do I actually believe it um, and there's a, a lot of stuff going on Um it's a sort of 31 year story but um, I remember going on this second camp then and sort of just sitting in this worship session after a service and I'm being like again around these kids and just thinking I need to sort of 
make a call here because I'm going on to Christian camps as a leader when I'm not even sure if I'm living out how I'm supposed to be living. So it was sort of then really that I made this made the call to um, start actively living as a Christian and um, putting into practice and trying to avoid being a hypocrite. And obviously there's times when we mess up and um, feel more distant. But I'd say that was the sort of point where I, I decided that I was going to um, seek God more and seek to live for him more than I had done in the past and not just do the tick box sort of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I suppose that's that's one of the, the struggles of an inherited faith, isn't it? People, and being a part of the furniture of the church, people just assume you have that living, vibrant connection. Yeah, 100%. And I think um, we sort of live in a society now where people say that they're a Christian because they've been baptised or they've, um, they go to church at Christmas time or Easter time and there's sort of different views on what a Christian is now. Um you know, we hear famous people saying they're Christians and then you look at the way they sort of conduct themselves and um, it's questionable. And I think I was in that category where um, I went to church and I grew up in that family um, that were heavily involved and sort of, I never believed that attending church made me a Christian, but I sort of lived out on a Sunday and perhaps a Monday and then it would fade out the rest of the week and, mm. Um, it was sort of that that word hypocrite, I guess, that keep com- kept coming back to me and thinking, do I? How do I want to live, and how do I want people to see me? Do I want to be the Sunday person or the Tuesday to Saturday person? And it was after that, really, that I made the call to start living better, I suppose, better. Yeah, and would you say there were key influential people in your life that helped you towards that decision, or was it very much a, a personal thing? Um, yeah, I mean, my mum and dad are obviously have brought me up, um, with those things in mind and teaching me as much as possible about God and about prayer and, um, what it is to have a relationship. I always believe that there was a God. I remember being in university and, um, sort of, we were going to church. I was going, trying to go to church with my girlfriend at the time and, um, in the end, she was the one dragging me along to the Alpha course. Um, I sort of knew that God was there. And I was like, I know all this stuff already. I just don't really live it out. Um, I believed a lot of it. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to do my own thing. And I was playing a lot of football um, and focusing on sort of studies and stuff. And so um, there's definitely people along the way that have – sort of put flag posts in as to when I thought, yeah, that's one of those times where I could feel God work in a guy called Trevor Pierce that leads a lot of the youth stuff. Um, and he's down from London. He had a massive impact. Um, I was I had links with the Liverpool church and I was doing a lot with people from there as well. And But I think it's just been the right people at the right time, to be honest, and, and always having that safe place to come back to with family and with, with church um, being able to thrash ideas out and talk to people and um, yeah, just explain where I'm at. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, can you bring us up to date then? Give us an overview of life and work before COVID-19. Yeah. So it's been a, 
a crazy couple of years, really. Um, we were living out in Uganda, volunteering there. Um, me and my wife, Sarah. And then we came home after doing just over a year. Um, we moved back into our house after living with Sarah's mum and dad for um, a good couple of months. They put up with us. Um, and then, um, yeah, we got pregnant. Um, whilst Sarah was pregnant, she um, was doing her master's, just started her master's in counselling. Um, I'd been successful in my application to join the police um, so the last year really we've both been taking up new challenges with sort of studies and employment um, having a baby and trying to work all that out um, and yeah just sort of settling back into western culture and western life um, and then COVID-19 came along and rocked the boat for us um, and just working out sort of that so it's we haven't really had a period of stability um yeah it's been a lot of um new challenges which has been exciting mm. and so give us a bit more detail then about life as a police officer um i'm still trying to work it out myself to be honest um <laughs> last so i've it was a year today that i joined the police i had my first day of training wow. um, congratulations thank you yeah another year and then um I'll be fully qualified, hopefully. So you you have training um, sort of in a classroom for three months. Um, then you're sent out to the, onto the streets. You have a 10-week probationary period where you're with a, treat, with a, with a tutor and you sort of follow them around. And then um, the remaining part of the two years, you're on what's called probation. So it's um, you're working towards a qualification, um, uh, all evidence through practical stuff and write-ups and and then after that you're sort of free to go on your own fully and um, start doing other stuff so yeah I'm still trying to work it all out myself and um, how I sort of how the role is and what we do in certain scenarios um, but every day's a learning day and can you talk us through is there such a thing as an average day uh, yeah, so as I said before, uh, before we started the call, really, we, we work a shift pattern of four on, four off, um, which is really nice. So we do two day shifts, two night shifts, usually between 11 and 12 hour shifts. Um, so usually on the start, you would go into work and catch up on what's sort of been going on while you've been off, um, reading emails, um, catching up with colleagues. There may be handovers and stuff from the shift before you. Um, the first day shift, the first night shift, we have a briefing um, with our whole rotor and with our sergeants. Um, they just highlight any sort of outstanding work that needs to be done as a rotor, um, areas that we need to focus on. Um, and then we'll go out and do our own thing, really. Um, so the day shifts are usually used for your own inquiries. Um, so any jobs that you've got, um, on your what we call on our collar so it's sort of our allocated jobs um, we'll need to go and take statements do interviews collect evidence all that sort of stuff um, that's usually done on days just because people are more available um, and you've got time to do it um, and then on night shifts will sort of be where you're doing either paperwork because um, everyone else is sleeping 
or you'll go out looking for um, looking for stuff, trying to be proactive. And then in amongst all that, you're um, sort of a slave to the radio. So any calls, emergency calls that come in, we'll answer those and go straight to them. Um, any jobs that need to be dealt with in a couple of hours or um, throughout the shift, we'll be answering those as well and going to see people about them. Um, so it's pretty intense trying to do right by the people that have been victims and trying to solve their sort of crimes for them whilst helping people and yeah just trying to get that balance and very varied i would imagine oh what sorry varied there's a lot of change a lot of difference day to day oh yeah you'll come into work one day um expecting to do your inquiries um it may be that you've got a job that you're trying to get a load of evidence for whether it be like collecting cctv doing statements or whatever You'll have all these things in mind that you think, right, I'll get on with those today. And then you walk into the office and it just goes out the window. <laughs> um, whether it be a, a, a call that comes in and turns out to be a big job. Uh, it could be that the shift before you have um, have had some stuff on and they've got someone in custody or uh, they've got someone in hospital. You need to go and sit with them. Um, so every day is different. And that's what I love about it really is um, you're coming in and, you don't really know what's going to happen throughout that day and um, who you're going to come in contact with and uh, what new challenges you're going to face. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Could you talk us through some of the highs and lows of the role? What would be things that you would particularly maybe enjoy isn't the right word, but find rewarding and valuable and then some of the more challenging things before COVID-19? Yeah. Um, so before um, I mean, it hasn't changed a huge amount um, with COVID, if I'm honest. Um, we'll talk about some of the changes, but um, I mean, the, the, the difficulties is that you're, you're working with people and meeting people potentially for the first time on possibly the lowest day of their, their life. Mm. Um, you know, it could be that they've hit rock bottom. It could be that they've had some really bad news. Um, it could be that they've been a victim um, of something that's been building for a while or that's been ongoing for a while. Um, so you're dealing with people when um, they're in a really vulnerable place and you're aware that as you're working with them that you're potentially the first professional they're going to come into contact with um, for support. Um, and how you conduct yourself and how you work with that person could affect what happens in the future as well, in terms of whether they're going to call us again, um, whether they believe in the police and what they do. Um, so you're always trying to do best by people whilst dealing with the constraints and the, the, yeah, the, the time constraints really, um, and the demand on us. So, I mean, the lows, are working with those vulnerable people um, and seeing them in those difficult times. But it's when you're able to put things in place and work with other agencies to support them is when you go home feeling like you've, you've done something today, you've made a difference. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really good agencies out there that we can support to, um, so we can report to. And I, I feel like sometimes we might just be a, 
an agency which passes these people on. But I think mm. at times you're able to really put a support network around these people um, and really help them to make a difference for the future. And you're almost at that first step. And I was talking earlier about sort of the, the people in my life, those flags, that there wasn't one person, but it was a chain of events and a chain of people. You sometimes feel like you're the, the first couple of links in that chain to really help someone um, progress and move on. Um, so, yeah, there are days where you go home feeling like, you're struggling and you haven't really been able to do much, but then there's days where you feel like someone is going to be better off because of um, the work you've done with them on that day. And and that's the highs really. Yeah. You've made a real difference. Yeah. Oh yeah. To be honest, it's them that's making the difference. You've just been able to help facilitate it. Yeah. Um, you've just been that person that knocks on the door and says, right, let's, let's do something. What can we do? What do you need? Um, a lot of people think that the police are there to arrest people, um, to punish. That's actually a very small percentage of what we do now. Um, a lot of it, the majority of it is um, supporting people with mental health issues and substance misuse. Mm. Um, people that have been involved in domestic um, abuse or domestic violence. Um, you know, picking people up off the street and taking them to a safe place. Uh, missing people is a big area of what we do and it's all really important stuff um it's the majority of what we do um it's sort of the safeguarding stuff and putting people in a safe place yeah i love what you said about being that first contact really that sets the course for what happens next even if you're not able to journey with them the whole way you help set the direction at the very beginning yeah and it's something that i sort of um, I was always put off by joining the police, to be honest, um, because I didn't want to be this person that just went around at sort of handing out punishments or whatever. I've, I've always been in areas of work where I wanted to help people um, until I spoke to a friend of mine and who was a police officer. And he sort of just said what I've, what I've just told you guys really is that it's a very little part of what we do. Um, and it is, it's an honour to, to help people uh, when they want to be helped and to put things in place to avoid them being sort of victims or being a situation that they're in. Yeah, and I didn't prepare you for this question, so forgive me. That's right. Um, would you say that your faith has been a key player in that, wanting to make that difference? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it shapes who we are, doesn't it? It's like we was, I was saying earlier, we don't want, I didn't want it my faith to be something that I just lived out on a Sunday. Um, but that, that impacted the whole of my life. And um, when we're going into these situations, it's, there are, there are times um, in most of them where we can just, just take a step back and think, right, what, what's the right thing to do here? How can I help this person? You know, almost like the, what would Jesus do attitude? Yeah. Um, you know, how, what's the best by this person? And you can't help everyone, unfortunately. There's people that don't want to be helped. Um, but you can still safeguard them and, you know, take them to the safe place, if nothing else, until yeah. they're ready for that help. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, it, it it does give me a lot of opportunity to sort of live out what I want to believe, what I believe, and and I think COVID has allowed us all that opportunity really to be like, right, what can we do pl- practically rather than just sort of preaching about it and talking about it? What can we do? Um, yeah, what can we do to help people? Yeah, well, that leads us on nicely then to the next question. You've kind of began to answer this one already. How has your role changed with COVID? Yeah, um, I mean, there's been a few differences, I think, that we're all sort of managing now with the social distancing and um, sort of washing our hands all the time. Those little things that are are impacting our day-to-day life and work. Um, For the police, it's apart from those obvious things that we're all sort of doing, it's not been a huge, a huge difference. Um, There's obviously all this legislation that's coming in now saying that um, it's it's been eased now, but um, strict guidelines on when we should go out. And that was being managed by the police. Um, But it just gave us an opportunity really to speak to people and sort of find out what they were doing out. And um, was it really necessary? And, um, try to think. I mean, what else is different? Yeah, it's just little things. We have a lot of um, what we call COVID calls now. So, um, neighbours are either concerned for their neighbours or um, are grassing them up, saying that they're going out more times than they should be, and um, they're not following the guidelines. So, we've had to deal with um those sorts of things. So we've had an increase in jobs in that way. Um, but it's the same same sort of concerns really around mental health and substance misuse. Um, they've sort of carried on and we haven't seen an increase or decrease in them, I don't think. Um, they still have a lot of domestic issues with people um, drinking all day and, and having arguments in the evening. Um and sort of there's been an increase, I would say, um, in sort of the cases of harassment that we've had, where I think people are probably sitting at home and then contacting ex-partners um, and getting into rows over the phone and stuff. So mm. there's been a everyone says, oh, you must be really busy now with COVID. No, we were we were busy before COVID and we're yeah. still busy now. Um, there's been an increase in certain jobs. Um but I, to be honest, haven't noticed a huge amount of difference um, with it. It's just maybe a little bit of difference in the type of jobs that we're going to. Mm-hmm. Um, we try and do a lot more stuff over the phone, just those sort of basic things that I think everyone's doing to sort of safeguard themselves. And you've touched a lot about this already, about working with folks with mental health concerns would you notice those struggles intensifying, increasing over this season? Um, I think there's a lot of um, uncertainty, especially for people with mental health. Um, There's sort of two brackets for me that off the top of my head. There's those people that are homeless, um, are out on the streets and are suffering with substance misuse and mental health issues. Um, and for them, obviously, there's the uncertainty of uncertainty of where they're going to sleep. Um, you would imagine that they're a lot more likely to catch the virus because they're out 
um, a lot more and potentially are more vulnerable as well because of underlying conditions um, that they may or may not be aware of. Um, but there's also people who are inside um, suffering with mental health issues um, and they have increased as a result of um, anxieties around COVID-19 and um, potentially becoming a victim of that. Um, so, yeah, I would say for those people who are already suffering, um, COVID-19 has made it a lot more difficult because it's the unseen, um, it's the unknown of who's carrying it and how it's going to affect them if they become um, if they sort of have or gain COVID-19, what that's going to affect, how that's going to affect their health. And then what, would you notice any struggles with your colleagues, with your peers, how they're dealing with all of this, either professionally or personally? Yeah. And again, I think it's very similar to sort of everyone else, really. Um, we're all dealing with the unknown. Um, obviously with, as police officers, you're entering into people's houses. You don't know what you're walking into. Um, with that added extra of you don't know if they're, they're, they've got COVID-19. Um, they may not even know that they're, they're sort of carrying it as well. So you're always on edge as to if you're walking into a property where someone's told you perhaps they haven't got it, but they have because they want your help. Um, you're walking into people's houses where you don't know what the situation in is and so you're worried about bringing it home um, and potentially infecting your own family as well mm. I mean we've got staff with underlying health conditions so they're all working from home and um, supporting sort of the teams out um, which then means that we're short staffed um, so you're going on to rotor and you're going out to work thinking um, there's not many of us out tonight um, which is then more stress on the rotor as a whole um, one of the things we have to do a lot generally is um, sit with people in hospital, um, whether it be because they're under arrest or to safeguard them to make sure they don't leave. So as staff, you're walking into um, an area where you know is potentially people with COVID or um, are close by. Um, and we can spend four hours a shift in there um, just sitting with someone. And so that's obviously comes with its concerns as well. Um, so there are, yeah, there are worries around it. Um, the police have been really good in trying to get, make sure there's enough PPE for us all and um, trying to keep us as safe as possible. But like I said, we're dealing with the unknown and, and something that we can't see. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy for folks to just stop looking at the uniform. So we, we see there's a police officer, they're the uniform and that's all they are. Mm. But we can forget that there's a person inside that uniform who has to go home and worry about their family. Yeah, definitely. And especially with all this is kicking off this week um, and the protests, um, it is, I think the police is just seen as a uniform, um, mm. as a sort of group of people that um, don't have normal lives, I guess, um, mm. sometimes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but we are, we are human. Believe it or yeah, not. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and so then from your perspective, how can citizens just help folks in their community? How can we be neighbours? How can we love in the world right now? Yeah. Um, 
I think uh, it's given us a real opportunity to be practical um, and to to be aware of who's around us and what's around us and um, the needs in our communities and our streets. Um, I mean, we get, sorry to going back to the police for a second, but we get a lot of calls that we go out to where you just think this is, this could be dealt with either by the people that we're speaking to or the people around um, the amount of arguments and disputes and um, little sort of things um, that we have to deal with. This has taken us away from sort of more pressing stuff. Mm. And actually this could just be dealt with by, um, by sitting down and talking or um, by thought third people, intermediaries coming in. Um, and so I think it's just being aware of who's around us and what the needs are. How can we support the people um, around us um, and make the best out of the situation, really? It's a really good opportunity for us to start, um, one, getting to know our neighbours, um, finding out what their name is, uh, and two, finding out how we can sort of support each other and make the best out of the situation um, going forward. And, and as Christians, really, that's that's what we're called to do is to get out and get stuck in. And um, now more than ever, I feel like it's a good time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I always love whenever Jesus tells the disciples, pray for workers for the harvest field. And in the very next breath, he sends them out. So yeah. the disciples become the answer to their yeah. prayer. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's quite easy for us to sort of chill out and, and let other people do the work when actually if we all just get out there and get stuck in, then, um, that's when people start to notice the difference and, and yeah. see the difference in us. And um, we can talk to people and preach to people all we like, but until we get out there and start getting stuck in, that's only when people start to notice um, and see that there's something different about us um, and that we're not just talk, but that we're action as well and we believe what we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking personally then, James, how do you find rest in days like these? Um, I mean, generally, before and during COVID, um, it's quite difficult to switch off from work. Obviously, you're trying to help people, and so you worry about them when when you get home, making sure or thinking whether you've done the right thing. and um, So it's just learning to switch off um it's easy to guess i guess to fall into the trap of netflix and um just chilling in front of the tv so um for me it's been about getting into some sort of routine um and i've had a real sort of change of attitude on trying to make the best out of these situations and and being positive about it and focusing on what's important um so obviously with the four days that I'm in work, I don't see a lot of Sarah and Jude. So I try and make the most of seeing those guys and um, getting out for walks and um, just enjoying life really and enjoying this time where we can slow down and we don't need to be rushing around. Um, yeah, trying to read more as well, but that's not going so well. <laughs> I struggle struggle to uh, not be out doing things. I do struggle with um, sitting and enjoying. So uh, it's something that I'm trying to practice in this time of COVID. Yeah. 
Yeah, is that because you feel the need to be productive? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I think it's just how I'm wired. I think my mum and dad would tell you that I've always been the same of being up. And um, my granddad tells a story of when we went for a walk, I think up Snowdon or something like that. And then when we would get home and we just sat down, I asked him if he wanted to play cricket. And um, I think ever since then, that's just how I've been wired is to just be up and, and doing stuff. And whether it be productive or just be active, um, mm. But, yeah, just trying to enjoy this time, whether it be um, up and about or whether it be sitting and, and relaxing, just to be enjoy this time of family and um, this time of sort of quiet and, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, that's beautiful. How, how can we as your church family pray for you? How can we support you? Um. I guess it's just, it's, first, I guess, it's just praying for the people that I'm sort of coming into contact with. Um, we work with a wide range of the society and, um, you know, with the, with the poor and with the rich. We work with all different classes. We work with people who suffer with mental health and those who don't. Um, we work with repeat offenders and we work with someone that's just having a bad day. Um, we yeah we work with pretty much everyone um, and so it's just for them really is um, just for I just think it's for them to enjoy this time as well and to make the best out of out of the situation um, some people are, are born into some really difficult situations Mm. Um, and so it's yeah it's for them and their situations to improve um, for them to want to improve and for us as agencies to support them in that and I think sometimes we come with a sort of idea of how they need to be helped and um, what areas they need to change and so we put them onto the onto people rather than listening to what what do they need help with um so i guess along that line it's patience um and a listening ear um it's very easy and and we're quick to walk into a situation and try and take control um to calm things down or um to deal with what we think are the problems and so it's just patience to take a step back and speak with people about um how they would like to be to, to be supported um and then, yeah, for safety, I guess, um, mm. for for everyone that we're working with, um, for me and my colleagues and for um, different, again, different agencies, um, it's just that safety of um, being able to go home and, and not worry about your family or um, who you're coming into contact with or when you're going to work. You know, we work with some dangerous people, so... Mm. Um, safety in those sort of situations as well yeah okay well last formal question then james where do you see hope in this season um i think it's very easy to get um sort of knocked down like i said we go in we're meeting with people on essentially the worst day of their life and it's very easy to 
um, let that drag you down, I suppose, and go home with this negative view on the world. So I try to be positive and, and look at the positives in every, in every circumstance that I come into. Um, but I think especially during this time of COVID, it's this unity. It seems to have um, brought people together and um, unite, united us as a nation and as um, members of the public to work together. You know, seeing people make things for the NHS and um, mm. seeing Sammy the, Smith, the snake in... Alan Waters, all those stones that have been painted, it just yeah. looks like people are really getting stuck in and wanting to bring hope to society and to the communities. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just in those little things where people are stepping up and trying to make a difference. That's where um, if we all do something, then we're going to have a big impact. Yeah, um, yeah. And sort of that change... Of focus. I just really hope that people carry it on um, that mentality of not just focusing on self, but um, trying to be more selfless and, um, and helping others. Yeah, we have this remarkable capacity as the human family to go through these incredible experiences and then forget about them 20 minutes afterwards. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure that we will forget bits, but I think if we can just remember some of it, um, it will have a massive impact on um, on our society. And I think it will be a much happier place. Um, people's ideas and um, mental health will be much improved if we can try and be less selfish, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, James, that was really great. I really appreciate you being so honest and open about all of this. That was our last formal question. Okay, no. um, But I do want to ask you some quick fire ones I haven't prepared you for. This is what the nation really wants to know. I know. James I'm really, really worried about this, but go on. <laughs> and rightly no, so. Say no comment. That's one thing I've learned from the police. Just answer no comment. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to respond, but if you don't, we will draw our own conclusions. Yeah, I might get a solicitor. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who is your all-time favourite TV show character? TV show character? Um, I used to love Mr Bean. I was chatting to my nana about Mr Bean the other day. Uh, Rowan Atkinson is a legend. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll stick with him. I'm sure there's more, but off the top of my head. Personal role model. Do I have one? No. Oh, Mr. Mr. Bean. Um, yeah, I mean, he brings joy, doesn't he? And he, and he uh, he's not too serious about the about life, which I think is a good way to be. <laughs> if you could study any subject, what would it be? Um. Probably football, um, not sports ed or anything like that, just football. Um, I wanted to do a <laughs> master's in psychology. I really enjoyed um, the elements of that in my degree. So I would like to do some sort of psychology stuff, but um, just out of pure enjoyment, I would just study football, just work with football managers. Yeah. Would you rather cook or be cooked for? Cooked for every time. Sarah's an amazing cook. Uh, she does all the cooking and I do the washing up so cooked for every time <laughs>
and special requests, what would if she was cooking your ultimate meal, what would it be? Um, I love a Sunday dinner, mum's Sunday dinner, um, and Sarah does a mean white chocolate cheesecake. Oh, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite board game? Um, I used to love Risk. Um, but it's quite intense. Um, we play a lot of Monopoly in our house, um, board game and card game. Um, so I'd probably go with that. Yeah, card game is a million times better. Do you think? Oh, 100%. Uh, we played a lot of that in Uganda. Um, I was very, very good at it. <laughs> if you do say so. I was. It was the one thing <laughs> that uh, I uh, beat Sarah at most times. If you could play any musical instrument that you don't already play, what would it be? Um, what would it be? Um, I play the guitar, but I'd really like to learn the electric guitar. Um, so that would be one. Um, the saxophone is very cool, so I'd love to learn the sax. Okay. Um, yeah, probably stick with them for now. I'm sure there's others. Yeah. Awesome. If you could hear any artist live, past or present, who would it be? Um, this, this is a long list, you know. Uh, yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers are on there. Um, I've seen a couple of my the bands that I wanted to go and see. Um, I'd like to see Queen just to see Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see a band called Pearl Jam. Um, I like that you explain that as if I don't know who that is. Thanks, James. Some people might not know who Pearl Jam is. <laughs> um, oh, there was another one who's who asked what I like to see. It's, there's no chance. I mean, Nirvana are on there. That's never going to happen. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, it's a long list. Long, long list. What is your proudest DIY achievement? Oh, that's a long list as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have I built? I've done lots of things. I built a chicken, chicken coop uh, when I worked for the Youth Justice Service. That was pretty good. Um, put up quite a few shelves, done a lot of IKEA self builds. My proudest one. Um, I like fixing things. So, um, oh, I fixed. I changed a changed the light fitting um, underneath my stairs. Um, now this might sound unimpressive, but. <laughs> Um, it was a complete change, and there's about three sets of wires going in and out. So um, the fact that I didn't blow the house up was impressive. But, yeah, I did that quite successfully recently, so I was chuffed with that. Yeah, rightly so. As far as I'm concerned, as soon as there's wires or water involved, just shut it down. Yeah, I've had a few mishaps with um, burst pipes as well that we won't go into now. But. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, last one. You're offered an all-expenses-paid holiday. Where do you go? Space. I was so jealous when uh, when they did that recent rocket launch up to space and yeah. landed on the space center. So, 
Um, I'd love to go. We've done a bit of traveling and I'd like to go to South America and um, New Zealand and a few other places. But the ultimate has got to be space. That would be yeah. amazing. Great. Yeah. Well, James, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. No problem. And if anyone wanted to find out more about some of the things we've talked about, you've mentioned other agencies that you would work with. Are there places that they could look for those? Yeah. Um, if you go to North Wales Police website, um, there will probably be links on there. But there's a really good website that um, I've started using a work called Dewis. I think it's Dewis Cymru. Um, D-E-W-I-S. Cymru, um, I'm not sure if it's .gov or .uk, but that's basically a website where you put in um, either what you're struggling with or what you'd like help with um, or an area and it will come up with lots of different charities and agencies who can uh, can point you in the right directions. It's a really good website called Dewis. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you again and thank you to all the folks who've taken time to listen. We'll hopefully be back again soon with another guest. But until then, grace and peace be with you.